Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you to search the Scriptures again with us as we investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Kingdom of God. We're glad you joined us for another session of Scripture Searching Together. Bible study, you know, is essential for Christian growth. The Word of God contains the very energy of God's creative activity. The Word and the words of Jesus are the heart of everything that God is trying to say to us in the late 20th century. God has a plan, and His plan is to restore peace and harmony to this very disturbed earth we live in. That plan is summarized in what Jesus called the good news about the kingdom of God. God has an objective. He's aiming in a definite direction. His grand design for our planet and for our personal destiny is summed up in that phrase, kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, you know, was the heart and center of everything that Jesus taught. You can establish that easily for yourself by opening a Bible at the beginning of either Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and you will find that in every case, Jesus' summary statement about his whole intention as a preacher and missionary to Israel was, in fact, the topic of the kingdom of God. Look, for example, at Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and you'll find there that Jesus was going about the whole of Galilee announcing the good news about the kingdom. And in Luke 4.43, Jesus said that the whole purpose of his mission, the whole reason why God had sent him, was in fact to preach the gospel of the kingdom. In his inaugural address in Luke 4, you'll find that Jesus again spoke of the gospel. And that gospel throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament especially, has a definite label, it has an identity marker, it's always the gospel about the kingdom of God. Again, that's an elementary biblical fact which can be established by anyone with a Bible. It wouldn't matter what translation you're using. Look up, for example, Matthew 24 and verse 14. There we read that Jesus said the following words, This gospel about the kingdom will be heralded in all the world as a witness to the nations. Now, if you turn to Mark chapter 13 and verse 10, we find the report of that very same statement of Jesus. As Mark recalled it, Jesus said, the gospel will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations. So you see, the gospel is the equivalent of this gospel about the kingdom of God. Now, that's a vital key to biblical understanding. The term gospel has become very vague in our own time. It's essential, therefore, that we go back and define it in terms of its own biblical references. That's to say, we must look and see what the fullest phrase for the gospel is. Don't take the shortest one, you might lose some information. Take the longest description, and you get the fullness of the proper description of the gospel as Jesus understood it. And so Matthew 24:14 describes the gospel as this gospel about the kingdom. Mark abbreviates that to the gospel. Wherever you find the word the gospel in the New Testament, think of the parent text. Think of that original text in Matthew 24:14, where Jesus tells us what the gospel is. It is this gospel about the kingdom of God. Now, that gospel is the equivalent of the words of Jesus. A summary statement of the words of Jesus, then, is the kingdom of God. That is an encapsulation of everything that Jesus spoke. 
but his gospel message may be known then as simply his words. You can show that easily by turning to Luke chapter 9 and verse 26, where Jesus warned that some would be ashamed of me and my words. Now, the equivalent in Mark chapter 8 verse 35 speaks of losing your life for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. And so my words is the equivalent of the gospel. And the gospel, remember, goes back to that master text in Matthew 24:14, where it's described as this gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, a puzzling theory has arisen in the minds of some that the teaching of Jesus was really for the Jews and not for us as Gentile Christians. Nothing could be further from the biblical truth. The teaching of Jesus, the gospel as Jesus preached it, is the heart of Christianity. And that very same gospel of the kingdom was offered first to the Jews and then later to the whole wide world. And so we as Gentiles in the 20th century come under the same challenge as was offered by Jesus originally in Galilee to his Jewish compatriots. And in the book of Acts you'll find that the gospel of the kingdom, the very same gospel message, was presented by Philip to the people in Samaria. And we read in Acts 8.12 that when they believed Philip as he was proclaiming the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, both men and women. Now that text gives us a vital clue as to the missionary activity of the early church. And surely that's a wonderful model for a modern evangelist to adopt. It tells us the content of the message being offered to the people. And that content is described as being the subject of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. That's to say, the whole revelation that came through Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus stood for. That's what the word name means in Scripture. It reveals the totality of a person. Everything that Jesus recommended as saving truth. Now, if the gospel is the gospel about the kingdom of God, and if indeed Jesus invites us and challenges us to believe in the message of the kingdom, Mark 1, 14 and 15, we would naturally want to know what that kingdom is all about. How can we receive the gospel as Jesus spoke it unless we have some intelligent understanding of his main topic, the kingdom? You obviously cannot believe in something you don't understand. You must have a basic comprehension of the message being offered to you before you can say, yes, I accept it, I believe it, I commit myself to it. Now, we've been saying that the kingdom of God is a thoroughly Jewish idea. And one of the great keys to successful Bible study is to recognize that Jesus was not a 20th century American or Westerner. Jesus was a Jew living in first century Palestine. And his concepts and ideas and theology are rooted in what we know as the Old Testament better called, really, the Hebrew Bible. And by the Hebrew Bible, of course, we mean the books of the Old Testament which nurtured Jesus as he grew up under the tutelage of his parents there in Nazareth. And so not to grasp the basic message of the Hebrew Bible is to fail to understand Jesus from the start. So we must make a concerted effort then to unravel the meaning of the prophets of Israel. What was the burden of their message? Jesus, you see, took up a message based on the prophets of Israel. The kingdom idea is central to everything that the prophets of Israel spoke about.
The kingdom of God, in fact, was the national hope of Israel. So when Jesus came into Galilee and announced that the kingdom of God was approaching, that it was near, that they should get ready for the great day when it would be manifested, Jesus was not using a term that was misunderstood. No intelligent communicator wraps his message in incomprehensible terminology. The term kingdom of God for Jesus' compatriots was about as well known as the Constitution in America or the Tower of London in England. It was a phrase which summed up the whole aspiration of the nation of Israel, their national hope. The prophets had constantly spoken of an era of peace and prosperity coming on the earth when God intervened to right the wrongs of this unjust society and to introduce a completely new era of human history under the supervision of the promised king, the Messiah. A number of passages in the Hebrew Bible had been commented upon by the Jewish people. They recognized that God, through the prophets, had guaranteed them a new era of success and prosperity when they, as the Jewish people, the chosen people, would take their rightful place as leaders of a new society. And, of course, they were expecting to be liberated from their enemies, the Roman people. They were expecting the Messiah to intervene militarily on their behalf and defeat their enemies and promote them to a position of world leadership. Now, many of us were taught in our early church-going days that Jesus was interested only in what was called a spiritual kingdom and that there was nothing political or military about what he had to say. That, my friends, is an extraordinary contradiction of the Hebrew Bible as well as the New Testament. Jesus never for one moment altered the terms of the messianic promise as God his Father had given it through the prophets of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the kingdom of God is obviously a geographical thing, it's a political thing, it's a military thing, and at the same time, it is thoroughly spiritual. You see, in the Bible, they do not make that distinction between politics and religion that we often make. If God intervenes to take action on behalf of his people, that can be by a military intervention, it can be by a political act, but it's also something that is spiritual because it derives from God himself. Now, Jesus did not abandon the hopes of the Old Testament. When he announced the kingdom of God in Palestine, he was not playing games with his audience. Both he and they knew what the kingdom of God meant. It meant a new era of divine government coming upon the earth with Jerusalem as the headquarters of a new world government. That's what the kingdom of God always meant in the prophets of Israel, and Jesus did not alter that meaning. What he did was to point out that before the kingdom could be established, there was a time of suffering, a time of suffering and indeed death for the Messiah himself, and a time of preparation during which Jesus, by means of his gospel message of the kingdom, invited first his Jewish compatriots, that's to say any who were willing to follow him, and then the wider world of the Gentiles, to join Jesus in that future kingdom as co-rulers and administrators with him. Now that required a period of preparation. And so the gospel then is like an invitation 
to a party, to a feast. The message or the gospel preaching of the kingdom is the invitation, and that invitation is to a grand celebration which will be the marriage supper of the Lamb, described in Isaiah the 25th chapter as a magnificent banquet which will celebrate the inauguration of the new era of the kingdom of God on earth. All of Jesus' parables or illustrations or comparisons are geared towards inviting us to participate in that future kingdom of God. All his miracles of feeding the hungry are, so to speak, rehearsals for that tremendous celebration that Jesus will bring when he returns. All the miracles that Jesus performed during his ministry in Galilee are signs pointing towards the complete healing that will come to the world when Jesus returns. Everything that Jesus did from the moment he introduced his gospel message of the kingdom to the time of his death and even after he rose and addressed the disciples again in the early chapters of Acts, everything was geared to pointing to the great future which God has promised to us, namely participation in the kingdom of God when it comes. From the very beginning, when Gabriel announced to Mary that her son would indeed inherit the throne of his father David and rule over the house of Jacob, right to the end of Jesus' ministry when he promised that he would meet the disciples again in the kingdom, everything in Jesus' career was geared towards that great future kingdom. Our time is running out for today. We invite you to check our findings carefully in the Bible. Join us again as we continue our discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the kingdom of God.